Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's Beamaz and Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. All right, welcome into Beamaz and Beamer here on WBEN. Thanks for being with us. Uh, it's, you know, a pretty nice day outside. We're going to be snowing this time tomorrow. Hard to believe. Oof. Which uh, kind of stinks. But, anyways, let's get into it today. I'm, you know, I'm interested to see have you been paying attention, Joe, to any of. The former President George W. Bush's media tour. I have not. I didn't know he had a new book coming out. Yeah, he's got a new book coming out, and he's uh, been kind of going around, uh, you know, throughout. He's on the late night shows, uh, doing, you know, the uh, columns in newspapers, you know, everything to promote his book, uh, making all these appearances. And, And he was on CBS Sunday morning, and he was talking about, his relationship with uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama. The two kind of uh, retain a friendship after, you know, that passing of the torch happened in the White House. Uh, the two got to know each other, and they do stay in touch. And he said this. This is his quote. The American people so surprised Michelle Obama and I could be friends. Americans are so polarized in their thinking they can't imagine a George W. Bush and a Michelle Obama being friends. And uh, it, it was a, fr- a true friendship. Uh, the former First Lady Laura Bush added in that interview that was on CBS Sunday morning. And I think he's right and wrong in the same uh, breath right there, uh, talking about the ability to be friends, to have civil relationships with people who are, you know, maybe seen as polar opposites, excuse me, on the political scale. And he's kind of the proof that it can happen and apparently there's so many people saying what's going on scratching their heads are the opposite way well i think people have to realize you know it's all politics and people think back to the 2008 campaign and her husband president barack obama ran against john mccain but running really against george bush's policies but again at the end of the day that's a difference of political opinion that's not everything and I think it's refreshing that George W. Bush and the Obamas uh, have such a close relationship and can be friends. Again, I always go back to this, Brian, when this comes up. Most of my friends politically don't agree with me, and I couldn't imagine not being friends with someone because they didn't agree with my politics. You know, but it seems, and you talked about this last week, with everything being political, I mean, all the way down to a mask and a vaccine, it's it's this politics creeping in to everyday life that has now started to actually bring people apart, and that includes friendships and families. And I do think it is getting harder and harder, and I'll uh, kind of explain why uh, coming up in, in a little bit. And you can let us know your thoughts, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a good friend, another family member, that idea of being friends with somebody who you disagree politically with. Do you find it easy, or is it getting harder? 
especially over the last year. And we'll talk a little bit about that coming up. 803-0930 if you want to get in on the discussion. But before we do that, we're joined by Taria Parsonen of Western New York Students First because we want to talk a little bit about something uh, Taria and her organization did yesterday, and that's call for the resignation of the Erie County Health Commissioner. Taria, thanks for being with us this morning. Good morning, Joan Bryan. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, you know, this to me kind of is the result of not just the activism we've seen from your group and the calling of schools to be open full-time, five days a week, that hasn't happened yet. But also, to an extent, uh, just some of the language choices and ways that the health commissioner, and especially in Erie County, have chosen to uh, characterize in-person, in-school learning and the risks associated with that. Because I find that anytime I I listen to something from the county, as opposed to when you listen to doctors kind of talk about uh, in-person school, what we know about the risk of COVID transmission, it, it is a very different uh, message that gets sent across. That's right. There's a lot of fear-mongering going on. And this is not something that we've undertaken lightly in terms of asking for her resignation. Um, we've we've been trying to partner with the ECDOH for you know quite a long time now. And we're really kind of alarmed by what we're seeing. Um, specifically, Dr. Burstein has, you know, apparently threatened to uh, threaten those schools that plan on reopening at less than six feet of social distancing between students by stating that the ECDOH will quarantine all students and staff in a classroom or everyone on a bus when there's one confirmed COVID case. And this is a highly abnormal policy that is not being followed in other areas. It has no scientific merit. And, you know, the ECDOH school quarantine policy runs counter to the latest scientific research that clearly shows that transmission rates in schools are extremely low. So the language, you're absolutely right, the language that they use in their press conferences, in text, is all about fear and misinformation. And it goes back to, you know, we talk about last week when they were uh, mentioning even more cases in school-age kids who are enrolled in school, but it's almost like a footnote to that, that Schools were out in the week that they're talking about uh, when a lot of these cases are reported and the evidence that any of this transmission occurred inside a classroom just isn't there. Not to mention a lot of the kids who are testing positive aren't even in school to begin with. They're still uh, fully remote learning. That's right. The ECDOH is not providing transparency regarding in-school transmission. And that is most likely because there is no in-school transmission when masks are properly worn. So despite numerous requests from Western New York Students First and members of the media, the ECDOH hasn't provided the public with the data that shows the number of cases resulting from student transmission in Erie County schools. And that's really eroding our trust uh, in our public institutions. And you're right, these things are happening in sports. They're happening everywhere else because everywhere else is open. But What we can feel assured about is that when students come to school, that transmission is stopped by the proper usage of masks. Uh, Taria, let me ask you, you know, Dr. Gail Burstein, we know she's been pretty much in the forefront uh, here at Erie County from the beginning for the last year. uh, And you've voiced uh, concerns over her policies in the past. Have you guys had any contact with Dr. Burstein directly? We have not. We've written her several letters 
and they did respond to one of our letters, which is posted on the ECDOH website. It's also posted on our website, westernnewyorkstudentsfirst.org. Um, that is the only communication that they've had directly with us. We would love to partner with them, to collaborate with them. I know for a fact that school districts would like to see the same. You know, reading what was going on with the superintendent in Alden Central School District regarding football, you know, they were following all policies. And they still got punished, and he still got served, you know, by the police at his home. You know, that's that's really kind of stunning. And, you know, it really seems that they're making every effort to overrule New York State Department of Health guidance to keep schools closed and mislead the public. And the result is a growing mental health crisis for students. It's the severe educational losses for students. And it's one of the highest transmission rates in the entire state. And looking at that, you mentioned the other impacts of not being in school. There is this, uh, it's been called a lot of things, but it's not just to say it's a reaction to the virus, but it's also kind of ignoring any idea of risk analysis. Uh, When you kind of listen to some of these comments about kids in schools, it's basically putting to the side even the mention of every other problem that could result of this and and treating it as less important. And that, to me, really, even despite some of the new evidence that we've seen over the last six months, that idea really hasn't changed at all in what I'm hearing from a lot of people. Yes, it really seems like they've dug into their policies, and their policies are not effective. You know, it's time to recognize what everyone already knows. These policies are not effective in reducing transmission rates in our community. But we do know that they're unnecessarily harming our children. They're costing taxpayers millions of dollars. And, you know, it reminds me of that phrase, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and and expecting different results. And, um, you know, we we do need to see some different results now. Taria, I got to ask you, you know, you're asking Mark Poloncars to demand the resignation of Dr. Gail Burstein. But do you believe that this is all on Dr. Gail Burstein or do you believe the county executive is to blame as well? I believe there's been a lack of leadership from all areas at the county level. And um, and I know Dr. Burstein works with a team of people. Um, so it's hard to know exactly. Again, there's no transparency. It's hard to know exactly what's going on. But for sure, it's not Dr. Burstein alone. Where do you go from here? I, I know I brought this up to you before when we've uh, talked, but it seems like any time in the past where there's been a problem with a school district, with the way a school's operating, you know, the way to go about that is uh, parents get together, they know their concerns, they voice them to the school board or to the superintendent at that local level, and that's how it's addressed. Do you think the same thing can be achieved here, that ultimately that's where the changes are going to be made? Or do you still kind of think that this aiming higher is the way that you have to go right now because of the way the rules are set? Well, it's a good question. I think we're operating at a lot of different levels. I'm feeling very positive about the partnership and collaboration that I'm seeing between parents and school districts and parents and even among other parents. You know, as parents, we can't be fighting each other. You know, um, whatever your kid needs, your kid needs. And we need to move forward from there. But I'm seeing a lot of good changes. Parents are running for school boards. They're making uh, local active changes within their community. And, you know, we're also operating on the level of we need to We need to see that level of collaboration from our leaders as well, from the county, from the governor's office. And why not? Let's engage them. And we're seeing, um, fortunately, the press is covering this and bringing attention to it. So it's all good.
All right, Taria, thanks so much for being with us once again. That's Taria Parson of the group Western New York Students First. Yesterday, they sent out a press release and statement calling for the resignation of the Erie County Health Com- Commissioner. You can read much more on that over at WBEN.com, but getting a little bit of her perspective right there. All right, 919, and we're going to kind of uh, you know focus in on what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, and that is this idea of getting along and how easy or hard it is in what we're always being told, Joe, and this is, you know, my part one of when we talk about this, what we're being told is a polarized society because it's a little bit different from what I see. You know, images you see on TV, what you hear in arguments uh, on the news, whether it's on the radio here or on any, uh, you know, TV or news station anywhere, it is much different than what you see in day-to-day life and interactions between people. I see in real day-to-day life, as much as you can right now, less of a polarization than we're constantly being told that there is. Yeah, you know, when I'm, as you said, with COVID, it's it's smaller groups. But when I'm with groups of people, I don't see this back and forth that I'm seeing on social media. I don't see this... This divisive language in every post that you get from a majority of things on social media. When when people get together, guess what the guess what the topics are? The topics usually gear towards things that they agree on or can have a conversation on. I've even been with groups where people disagree and they have a very nice conversation. They don't get calling people names. It doesn't look like our text board. You, you know, I mean, I mean it's a very I you're, civil you're a big hypocrite in all this too. Okay. Because you probably are the person who brings up politics more than anybody I know probably. in conversation. Yes. And it always ends up in a way where nothing good comes from it. <laughs> so What do you mean? <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I'm, that's In conversation, I, I feel like politics really does not ever come up. Even in, you know, more so, and I'll get to more so in the past year, but... You are the person who is more likely to bring up a political anything in the news out of your own choice in bringing that up. I might bring up a, a topic to see what the opinions are of people. but Unsolicited. N- yeah. But <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't say I do it to argue. I would say that I do it to get the opinions of other people. Now, I, what do you, if we had what this conversation you, four years ago, we might be having a different conversation. I would say over the last four years, I try more to have conversation than debates. What do you think, you know, when you mentioned you bring it up to see the opinions, what do you usually walk away from if you are trying to see the opinions uh, of other people? What do you walk away learning well, when you bring it up? Brian, I'm obsessed with how people can look at one thing and have a bunch of different opinions, right? You know, when... um. I said this a few a few months ago. I sat in for Tom, and before doing Tom's show, I listened to a radio show that had a different political perspective than me, a left-wing radio show. And it was interesting to hear their callers, their host, and how they viewed certain things when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic that I might not agree with or policies that I might not agree with. But to me, what I got out of it was, okay, I heard your explanation. I don't agree with you, but I see why you support this policy instead of this. And I think it's very enlightening, and I think it can open eyes. I'm not saying you're going to change your mind, but I think it is eye-opening to at least understand where people that disagree with you get their opinion. Okay, but so you're talking about a radio show that you're listening to. That was one one example, yes. But in in an everyday conversation, when, when you bring that up, though, 
do you not come away from most of those interactions being like, wow, I guess I care about this way more than the person who I'm talking to? Oh, I, I – Because generally, that's, there's not really an opinion there, is there? That's, that's a daily – that's when I bring up baseball daily, I, get the, I walk away <laughs> with the same thing. No, that's true. But the reason I would bring it up is I am trying to get – the other perspective that might disagree with me. And, and I, I want to get a good grasp on what's the popular opinion and where do I see that differently and how did I get to, to my belief over this person? So I guess where I uh, come in on this is for basically my entire time, especially my entire time working here at WBEN, my general feeling walking through is that People don't care as much as you would understand if you're just paying attention to the news or you're just kind of embedded online. That day to day, the reason why most people get along is that most people, I mean, hey, look at how many people vote in a general election. Most people don't really care either way, one uh, one way or the other. And that's why society is kind of able to function. I do think that we are turning this around definitely in the last year or so. And, uh, you know, to bring up again what kind of uh, spurred this, the uh, media tour from George W. Bush, the former president. So he's out and about, and he made a comment on how people can't believe that he has a friendship with former First Lady Michelle Obama. I mean, you guys are, one's a Republican, one's a Democrat. How do you ever have anything to talk about? How could you possibly be friends? I mean, they basically beat you in the White House, like you said. I mean, running against um, John McCain, but you know, running against George W. Bush in the last eight years when Obama was elected in 2008. He describes it as a friendship. He says Americans so polarized, this is uh, former President George W. Bush, and they're thinking that they can't imagine uh, George W. Bush and Michelle Obama being friends. And then I was reading a little bit more into this on what people are saying about George W. Bush and his ongoing media tour because he is, I think quite obviously, being viewed a lot differently than when he was in the seat oh, yeah. in the White House, than when he's uh, sitting there in the Oval Office. And, you know, of course that's going to happen, that when the person is not actually in the position of power, they will be viewed a little bit differently. This is uh, from Jackson Lears, a history professor at Rutgers University, and I believe this was in The Guardian. This is public. This is his quote about one of the media stops of George W. Bush. It's an enormous blind spot now, and it's perfect that an airhead like Jimmy Kimmel will be participating in this image rehabilitation. I can't imagine anything that would better signify the depths to which our public discourse has fallen than George Bush being celebrated on Jimmy Kimmel. And I read that quote from a professor at Rutgers University, and I said, I can't think of anything that would better signify the depths to which our public discourse has fallen than a former president being criticized for going on a late-night talk show and them joking around and not having a serious political discussion because that's where my mind kind of went, and that is what you see in this kind of digging in in the heels. So when you look at George uh, Bush and you look at Michelle Obama, and it's always an interaction in between them personally. Are they twi- Maybe they are. I don't follow either of them on, on Twitter, but are they tweeting each other all the time? I don't know if either of them have a Twitter. I, I'm pretty sure I'm, they're not. No. I'm going to guess. No DMs. They're not TikToking well, back and forth. I wouldn't know about their DMs. I, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but it, you see them in person kind of having this. But on the internet, it changes because it's not your political opinion anymore. It becomes your internet identity. Yes. And then you get 
kind of dug in and it's becoming maybe harder and harder to separate that identity that you have on the internet and what you have to back up constantly from what you have in real life. And we want to take your calls on this. What do you think about the ability to interact? Has it gotten harder in the last year to interact with people who you disagree with? 803-0930. You're listening to BMAS and Beamer on WBEN. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. And Beamer. Now, Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. All right, we're back here with Beamaz and Beamer, and we're talking about talking about <laughs> your political beliefs. And if it ever comes up, and if it stands in the way of friendships, relationships, and other things, and whether that's your significant other, whether that's friends on a day to day basis, Family members? I, I think family members has probably been the longstanding one, right? You know, it's a, the old joke about the Thanksgiving yeah. dinner table. But uh, does it creep in more and more? And are you feeling, you keep being told it's a more polarized society. Are you actually feeling that in your day-to-day life? Because I am not. But maybe that's changed just a little bit. In the past year, which we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah, Brian, you know, uh, the last segment we talked about, you know, that political conversation coming up and it not really turning into an argument, but more of a discussion. And I have to be honest, over the last, I would say the last year, maybe two, I have tried in social settings to talk politics less. Because as you said, A, less people want to talk politics than want to talk to me about Virginia Tech football. Okay, so... I've, I don't want to be the, pers- the person that people try to avoid for that reason. I mean, there's other reasons to I'd try say, to avoid to, me. To me, the interesting thing with you is that you have to try to do that. Like, to you, that yeah. would naturally come up. And, and for someone like me, that would just never, exactly. ever naturally come up in conversation. But I can naturally come up with other conversation conversation points. But like you said, I'm unknowingly just bringing these things up when I am trying my best to not bring up politics and apparently it's 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 still, you know, it's still seeping in. But I don't want to be the person at social settings that there are, people are avoiding because, oh, Beamer's just going to bring up politics again. <laughs> like, I don't want to be that guy. I, I want to be what people are talking about. And, and I've tried. And I wonder if there's anyone else out in the audience that has tried to to limit their political discussion, but find themselves being reminded that it's still coming up and. You, you, you do make people uncomfortable, especially in a large social setting. That might not be what they – it's the one time they just want to avoid politics. They're not on Twitter. They're amongst friends. Yeah, or just continue to avoid it, not just the one time. Because I, like I said, I think most people are just not in that world to begin with. Ken in North Tonawanda. Hey, Ken. You're on WBEN. Ken, are you more like Joe – and it's difficult for you to limit talking about politics? Or are you more like me, who just never thinks to bring it up? Um, I try to limit myself when I just 
to speak about it because most people, he's right, don't want to hear it. Um, I think most people have stopped um, seeking truth in a lot of politics right now, and they just don't want to hear it. So then if you apply some pressure or into a conversation, then you really just end up being the person that everybody avoids speaking to. Yeah, To that point, just the idea of applying pressure and kind of having that debate, that just is something that never appeals to me unless it's over something pretty trivial, you know, to have a debate with somebody who you would consider a, a close friend about politics or something like that. Is that you have to you said you have to kind of stop yourself from doing that? Well, well, because it's there every every single day. I mean, it's it's literally the reasons why we make financial decisions. It's the reason why our firefighters and, and police officers right now are overwhelmed with um, activity nefarious activity let's say and um i think that we need to to focus on our community right now um we're looking from guidance from a state government that is in absolute disarray and we are also looking at the federal government whether whether people want to believe this or not like like they didn't people didn't like trump people don't like biden um just as equally and there's disarray in the federal government, right? So uh, I don't know how else to explain it. It's becoming very uncomfortable um, when you somebody offers the fact that they got the vaccine and they want to know why you don't have it. Um, and I'm like, why are you offering that information to me? That's private. That's yeah. private information, right? But they want to offer it because... Um, I, I don't know if they feel satisfied with with the studies that have been done. I, I, I am not. And I heard Mark Poloncar's on Sundays speaking up to this point, and I guess this was the point that I wanted to make. Um, he was saying in regards to people smoke cigarettes and they're doing damage to your body, so you should take this vaccine, right? Well, we have studies done that smoking is bad for your lungs. There's no studies done right now saying that this is going to be long-term, good for you or bad. All right. Well, Ken, I, you know, you're all over the place right now, so let me try and hit a, a couple of those things. Is One, you when you talk about somebody, and that might be the number one thing right now, is that somebody comes up to you and kind of offers, like, all right, yeah, I got the vaccine. Did you get the vaccine? I got the – and, you know, to that, if you don't want to have that discussion at all, um, my response to that would be like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, did you plant any flowers this weekend? You know, what, what else is going on? I don't, you know, I don't care to talk about it. Um, and it's really kind of that easy for me. But I would agree that in the last year, it's become more and more difficult to avoid having those conversations with people you run into. But there's a great example of something that's not political that brings up a political conversation. We've made where the vaccine if you ask someone about the vaccine, or if you say something about the vaccine, it's perceived you believe one political way or the other. If you have a profile picture on social media with a mask on, you're perceived to be one polit- uh, political party over the other. We have politicized almost everything. I mean, Coca-Cola was politicized a few months ago. It just seems like every little thing you can't bring up without politics. I mean, now baseball and politics, it's... It's to the point where every little thing has this political caveat around it, and you have to 
you have to weave your way in and out to try to avoid being political. Yeah, so I here is where, um, and the vaccine, I mean, really is kind of where I end up on this discussion about uh, going back and forth, because uh, you can listen to what people are saying, and it's becoming more and more like we're turning that into the political discussion and into part of our political discourse instead of just part of our uh, public health discourse right. or the conversation you would have with your doctor. I'll go back to a text that we got earlier this morning. We spoke with Dan Stapleton, who is the Niagara County uh, Health Director, and he was asking this person on the text board, why did the experts never address legitimate concerns people have for not taking the COVID vaccine? And, uh, you know, to that part of it, I will say, and we've had this discussion before, there is the need to talk to these people like they're people and not just say totally dismiss any concerns people have. And that is being done. And I, we had Mark Polencars on the show late last week. That is being done in forums run by the county. The problem is it's not being done when the cameras are on and in front of the media when you're reaching the most people. The second part of this person's text is that you're treating People like children offering a prize for, quote unquote, behaving properly. If you take the vaccine, we can open up. And that is not uh, or, or we if you don't, we can't and everyone will be angry with you. And that's the attitude that I think a lot of people are, you know, kind of feeling from the messaging when it comes to a vaccine. And, you know, on vaccine hesitancy, here's Dr. Alok Patel talking about communication strategy. We need to be a little bit more thoughtful about our tailored messaging and making sure we're reaching those crowds who are not vaccinated, don't want to get vaccinated, and are scared about the headlines. It's just making sure we're getting the right evidence-based messages out there. Now, if you look at poll numbers, this is actually just out this morning. Even despite the Johnson & Johnson pause, confidence in the vaccine is rising. Now, what are some of the reasons behind it? And that, by the way, that includes the partisan divide that we're talking about on vaccination is narrowing. Yep. And that's happening as more people are getting the vaccine. In the news today, uh, over 50% of adults in the U.S. have gotten at least one shot, which means, assuming, you'll get the second shot and you'll kind of uh, complete that process. Now, you look at some of these numbers. They've been narrowing over a period of time, and you kind of think that two things are working. The message that, all right, these vaccines work very well, that we continue to hear— Plus, there is the idea that, okay, it's my neighbor, it's my cousin, it's my brother, it's my friend, it's somebody else who's getting this fact. I mean, look, half of American adults, you're going to know somebody. Right. Or in some cases, you're going to know most people have gotten this vaccine. Yet still, this is what we're dealing with. Assemblywoman Monica Wallace on Twitter last week saying, quote, The same folks crying, open things up, are the ones who refuse to get vaccinated. If you want things open, get vaccinated. That's what she tweeted last week. And that is part of this political, you know, conundrum that we seem to be in where we just can't, or I shouldn't say we, I should say some people just can't stop talking about politics and just can't take their mindset off of that to realize 
that words like that are probably not helping that much. No, and it's going to turn it is going to turn people off of the vaccine. And again, it's in the danger of making this a political thing. I'll have to give Mark Polonkar's credit. Last week with you and Susan, he said, he goes, this is not a Republican-Democrat thing. I want my Republican uh, colleagues to get the vaccine as much as I want my Democrat colleagues. And that really, when it comes to COVID-19, it never should have been right versus left. It you shouldn't have even been, have to say that. What? You shouldn't even have to no, say that. No, he shouldn't have yeah, said that. That's... But we shouldn't have for the last year. When it comes to COVID-19, it shouldn't have been what conservatives think versus what uh, people of liberal mindset think. This should have always been what is best for America and for Americans. It, 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 we're not, we should not be labeled by left versus right. And that's what you get when you go on social media. And I think that's why some people find it so hard to believe that people like President Bush and Michelle Obama can be good friends or really anyone of two political different mindsets, especially at that high of a level in politics. So when you look at that discussion going on, and that is why I've been saying throughout the show this morning, it's becoming harder and harder over the last year to maybe be the person that I have always been, and that is completely avoiding any and not doing it on purpose either. I just it just never comes into my mind to talk politics with everybody. But I wish I was like that. It is now uh, getting to the point where whether it is restrictions over COVID, whether it's because you see these politicians on TV day in and day out, uh, soon and then week in and week out, and then you, you kind of have to listen to it because they're telling you whether you can go to the gym at uh, 9 o'clock or whether it's going to be open 24 hours or whether your kid can go to school uh, and when that can happen, that it's becoming harder and harder to stay above the fray, so to speak, and stay out of this mess because, well, in the past you could say, and I think rightfully so, and some people might disagree with me, that whatever is being, you know, whatever politic is happening right now, it, it doesn't impact right. my everyday life. And right. I don't really need to pay attention to it. You have a tough time making that argument over the last year and especially over the last six months. And it is becoming harder and harder to when you see that person who has a differing mindset over whether it's some of the restrictions or what's going on or they won't come over to see you or you haven't seen that person in a long time because one of you feels one way and the other feels uh, the other. I mean, that's when you're starting to see these political divides go from just, I would say, the fringe to it's creeping into everybody's life. Yeah. And uh, Brian, I'm on the same page as you. As much as I was in, I, I am into politics and I obviously have my opinion when it comes to politics. Um, these day-to-day press conferences and these policy changes, they didn't affect my day-to-day life. And I'm sure on the text board, you and I will be called mindless uh, millennials, but, but it didn't. You know, it, it was, I had policies I agreed with, but I didn't see the effects of them, especially as a college student or someone in their 20s. Yeah. This is the first time I can remember that Governor Cuomo at 1130 is going to say something that literally will affect what I'm doing tomorrow. All right. Yeah. Line four, uh, you're on WBEN. Sorry, what's your name? Good morning, Steve. From Steve, welcome to the show. Well, I listen to you guys. I'm addicted. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, and it's interesting listening to young men, and you are young men to me, very young. And you're thank you. And how you view things. Uh, I like to hear other points of view. I believe it or not, people 
say these things, but they don't mean it. They say, oh, I like to listen to the other side. I honestly want to hear what the other person has to say. And I try and not immediately argue with it in my head and say, okay, is there, is there a valid point I'm missing here? <clears throat> and you brought up a valid, interesting thing between President Bush and Michelle Obama. And I understand your point of view, and it makes perfectly good sense to me, but there's a caveat for me. I'm a retired police officer, and as I tell people, I still bleed blue. And there are certain things that I understand, and this is um, – you've heard uh, a trial by a jury of your peers. Everybody knows that expression? Yes. Okay. Well, a jury of police officers' peers would have to be police officers because as everyone will recognize, even if they begrudgingly will say so, police know things that other people don't. For instance, it's an old joke, and it's, it's been around for millennial. It's been around for probably since people had cars. A police officer can have a, see a car driving down the street and tell there's something dirty about it, there's something wrong, and you want to call it spidey sense or sixth sense. I can't even tell you what it is. It's worked for me many times. Hey, if I can, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but how often, being a former police officer, and I'm guessing this is where you're kind of getting to, how often are you talking about the Chauvin trial when you see people just kind of in everyday interactions? Generally, it only comes up among people who have the same opinion as me, and I don't think it's just because I hang around with them, but uh, whether I'm out with my friends or people I know or retired officers, we all discuss it uh, at length and ad nauseum. It comes up because it's part of what's going on in society, and it has a direct impact because, you know, when, when does a riot start? And, and by the way, they're not demonstrations. They're riots. Well, the riot- it comes up. Probably because it is part of what your identity has been, right, for, what, most of your life, I would have to guess? Well, I I only, I I became a police officer at the age of 34, and uh, we were test case for the the age, over age thing, and I retired after 26 years on the job. And I can honestly tell you, anybody who doesn't understand this, maybe nowadays things are different, but once you've been a police officer for one year, you will never view anything the same way and your friends will never view you the same way people you grew up with will know that you know they can't smoke a joint in front of you well maybe now they can but they can't Uh. smoke a joint in front of you and they can't drink and drive you won't allow it there's just certain things that change you'll never sit with your back to the door never and there's just certain things about you that will change permanently and you may come on the job as a liberal you will not leave the job as a liberal because you'll just certain see things in a different light, which means, as I said, a jury of your peers are people who've done the job. And I just get absolutely yeah. aggravated as hell when I hear people on the web, and they constantly do it, telling police officers, including Officer Chauvin, how he should have done his job. Well, I, I hate to cut you off, but we do have to run. We're in a time crunch here. I, You know, that point of what... I mean, the one thing that's sticking out to me is, you know, uh, uh, entering a liberal but not leaving a liberal. And I I think the point is kind of putting these labels on people as if, you know, you're a liberal, you're a conservative, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat is just not the way that the world works. If you were to really get into people's thoughts and what they think about particular issues, I would imagine that most people are kind of way over the map. All over the place, right? And, you know, you brought this up uh, before, Joe, and our caller uh, just brought it up, too, as well. You know, when you talk about listening to different viewpoints, I'm sorry, but for me, 
I that does not happen ever. Because here's what you're doing. When you're listening to a different viewpoint, you are listening to somebody who is just talking about their identity and their ideology on an issue. When I seek out things to listen to, to learn more about what's going on, I try and seek out somebody who doesn't have a viewpoint and somebody who I can kind of look at and say, all right, I'm going to read the first, maybe it's on Twitter, maybe it's a blog post, maybe it's something like that. I'm going to read the first sentence of this guy's uh, story or this girl's story, and I have no idea where it's going to go from there because it's allowing you to think as an individual and not part of some group one way or another. And I I get that, but like I said, I I listen to an opposing view knowing they have a bias but wanting to know how they got their opinion so different than how I got to my opinion. I find interest in that, and uh, that's why I do it. Brian, I'm uh, off to get my second Moderna shot today. Congratulations. So I will see you on Thursday. Sounds good. I don't think we solved anything today. Maybe on Thursday we will. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.